Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast with Scott Neal, a podcast about how to lead, grow, and succeed even with imperfections and challenges. Our goal? To help leaders expand their capacity and reach their full potential, whether leading a church, growing a business, or building a family. Remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection. Now here's your host, Scott Neal. Hey, welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast, and I've got Anna Coker with me again today. Welcome, Anna. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. We did the uh, podcast last month, I believe around the 1st of November, and a lot of people thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. We talked about boundaries, and uh, at the end of that, I talked with some of the people at Forest Park, and they were so positive about the podcast. Yeah. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I love being here. Yeah, you have so much wisdom and uh, so many things for us to think through. And you raised a lot of um, questions that people were asking at the end of that. And uh, they came up to me at the end and said, wow, I think I'm going to approach marriage differently now. Mm. I can't wait. I had one person tell me, I can't wait to put into practice what I learned from that podcast. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? That's awesome. So uh, as I mentioned in our first podcast with Anna, she's going to be a recurring guest here on the podcast. So we've got her back for the second time. And we're going to go with part two on boundaries. I know this is a love of yours. Yes, it is an absolute love. I asked Anna uh, if you could choose any topic to talk about, what would you choose? (laughs) And she said, boundaries, let's do boundaries. (laughs) So I love to talk with someone who's excited about what what the subject is. So we're going to jump back into boundaries today, except we're going to look at it from a different angle. And I'm very excited about this. We're going to take a look at boundaries um, on the spiritual side of ourselves and others. Uh, It's not enough to just have boundaries in the relational side of people uh, or the financial side, emotional side. All of those are important, but we also must have boundaries from who we are spiritually. What does that look like? So we're going to talk about that in this podcast. I've also got Lana with me. Lana is sitting here beside me and excited to have her with us today. Welcome, Lana. I am so excited to be here with you guys today, and I just love Anna. Yeah. So I enjoy having uh, Lana here. She'll chime in from time to time, maybe ask a question or give a comment, and it's always wonderful to have Lana here. I value her opinion, and her perspective is always rich and encouraging to me. She helps Mm -hmm. me think better. So, Anna, let's go ahead and begin, and we're just going to let this go where it goes. Sure. Okay? Let's do it. Um, I think uh, many people who follow you or who... You know, either they follow you on Facebook or uh, they've come into your office and uh, you know, had a session with you. Uh, they probably know a little bit about you because you're very open. You're transparent yes. about who you are. Mm-hmm. But many of the people here in our audience listening uh, to the podcast, uh, not only, you know, I recommended you last time and put your website. So people may sure. have checked out some things about you. They know your educational background and what you do mm-hmm. here in Elizabeth City. But they don't know your spiritual journey. They don't know about that. And you have a very interesting, Mm. um, very intricate spiritual journey, uh, traumatic in some ways. So if it's okay, let's begin by you just telling our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of where you were years ago spiritually, Mm -hmm. uh, the journey you went through, and kind of where you are today. And then we're going to use that as a launch pad to go into some boundaries that are important to set up in our own lives spiritually. Okay. Absolutely. All right, let's go. So, um, I grew up in church Baptist 
I went to church with my parents and my five siblings. So all five kids, I just remember sometimes feeling like almost a little embarrassed because there's this like huge duck family walking into the family. Yeah. I just always felt like there were so many of us. Um, but I, I definitely remember at a very young age being connected to God. I had an incredibly wise, kind, stable, and um, soft-spoken father. And I think that sometimes we see God as we see our actual, you know, physical father. And so for me in that way, I feel like I got really lucky in starting out seeing God as a really kind human, (laughs) even though obviously he's not human. Um, So I was open and felt comfortable with God no matter what the circumstances were. I remember as a little girl when I was seven, um, I was very afraid. I had gone already through a lot of different things. My parents' divorce, sexual abuse, um, just some just some other things as well by the time I was seven. Um, and I remember always thinking about God. God was always sort of in my mind, like, where, where, are, where is he? You know, is he going to save me from these sort of things? Um, and I, we had chores every week. My chore that week was to take our dog out. I hadn't taken the dog out. It got really dark. I had to take the dog out anyway. I was deathly afraid of the dark. And I remember taking the dog out and as she went to the bathroom, looking up at the sky and seeing three stars right in a row. And I remember hearing in my core, as long as you can see those stars, you'll know I'm watching over you. At seven, I knew that was God. It's like a voice inside of you. I I didn't hear it audibly. It's something inside of me that I could hear. And I think that that was really my very first experience with God. And from that moment on, I never really saw God as unkind or judgmental or fearful. And I also then started listening for him when I was 16, um, I was sort of coerced by my grandparents and my mother, um, who I did not live with. I, my parents were divorced. My biological mother lived in Pennsylvania. My, I lived in Florida with my father. And my mother was a part of a church that my father left when I was three. Um, and I basically decided that I was gonna run away and go live with her because my parents did not like her and did not want me to go live with her. They didn't necessarily not like her, they didn't like the church that she was basically like second in charge in. So um, I decided I was gonna run away since I didn't figure they were gonna give me permission to do that. And they found out, my father tried every which way to not get me to go, but eventually let go of me and allowed me to move there when I was 17. The day I turned 17, actually, it was my birthday. And um, I went because I was really struggling where I lived and I was looking to be rescued. I was looking to matter. I was looking to feel like I had purpose. I was looking to feel like I had value. And when I went there, everybody loved me because of who my mother was in the church. So I was immediately put on a very high pedestal. Everyone wanted to be my friend. Everyone wanted to be at my house, you know, going places with me. I felt like I was super special being Grace's daughter. Um, 
And so there was a, there was a feeling of I belonged and I mattered. And I did not have that feeling in my home when I lived with my dad, not necessarily because of my father, but because of a lot of different circumstances, which is another long story. Nine and a half years later, being in this church, um, <laughs> lots of stories and a lot of details. But nine and a half years later, I basically found out that um, the quote unquote leadership in the church was, they were evil. I don't know how else to say that. Um, just a lot of different things. But one of the things that we had found out was that the pastor of the church would sexually harass and even assault um, men in the church. Mm. And my mother at one point was responsible um, for counseling some of these men to hide either their um, experiences or actually encourage them to do what they were doing so that the pastor wouldn't perpetrate on other men in the church. Mm. So that's the gist (laughs) of why I said, I think I'm going to leave. Right. Uh, but while at the church, I think, you know, my stepmom, who her name is Sherry, she, once I had left the church, she explained something to me. And it is what made the most sense to me of why and how I was so blinded. She said that when she was in college, there, a hypnotist had come to the college and she volunteered to be hypnotized. And then when that was over, he said, do you want me to do something to where you can never be hypnotized again? And she was like, sure. (laughs) So he did, whatever that is. And my mom never fell under Sherry. She never fell under sort of what I call like a hypnotism of Drummond, who was the pastor of this church. Mm -hmm. She never believed him. She always knew that there was something off and wrong about him. I can't explain it other than it's like a hypnotism. You are in a very sort of blind tunnel and you ignore every screaming red flag that is surrounding you. And you do it because of the fact that you believe and have been basically told that it's all for the purpose of God. And I think what devastates me the most about spiritual abuse is you are abusing a third of who you are which is your spirit you're abusing the part of you that you can't see and it's very confusing because most of who we are is what we can see and what we can hear and what we can taste and touch and that is not, you can't do that with the spirit of God. You can't touch that. You can't see it. You don't, you can't, you know, wake up in the morning and have coffee with God. And so working through the relationship with God is to me is one of the most personal journeys one can take. Right. Because it's in you. Right. So many people probably are walking around, um, they don't may not have the dramatic story that <laughs> yeah. you had. We hope that sure. most people have not, not experienced that. Mm-hmm. Correct. But they have experienced some trauma in their either their church background, religious background, 
they may have grown up in a home and God was used in some ways as a, a punishment, uh, truth, you know, yes. what they perceived to be truth was yeah. used as a punishment to them. It wounded them spiritually, abused them spiritually. Yes. And because it's the invisible part of us, right. we don't look at someone and see bruises or a right. black eye or, you know, their mouth bleeding where we could easily see, okay, there's abuse, but it happened on the inside of them. Correct. And many times the spiritual abuse happens when they're children and the, they carry these wounds on the inside and they've carried those wounds for years and it manifests at 30, 40 years of age. And they don't even know why they maybe perceive certain things about God or people or have labels that they place on people and all Mm -hmm. that stemming from the spiritual abuse. I want to crack some of that open okay. in just a moment, but let me ask you a few questions about sure. uh, yourself. When these things happened, when you began to become aware of what was happening in your church, how how, how did you initially respond to that? Because I mean, I would imagine sure. your world just With unraveled. Completely. So it's interesting that you asked that question because again, God is my father in my soul, in my body started speaking to me almost an entire year before the break came. That's when you were talking about looking up at the stars? No, so that happened when I was seven, when I was a little girl. Right. But when I was in the church, a year before the church split. Got it, right. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was unclear about that. Um, A year before the church split, I started dating a man who was not infiltrated deeply in the church, but had a ton of money. So, of mm-hmm. course, I was being told, you're going to marry him. Mm. Um, so, of course, I was in what I would call now a pseudo relationship. It wasn't actually really a relationship. It was very right. weird. Um, how about this? He was a, oh, he's a good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but such a long story. I hope I'm going to make sense. Please stop me if I, if what I start to say isn't making sense. Um, 30 years prior to me being at the church, there was a huge news story on the church. And so there were newspapers (coughs) from that time. And someone who was inside the church with access to new members' addresses were sending these newspapers to all the new members of the church. Hmm. They they must have had thousands of copies from somewhere. I kind of think that, I mean, I just think that person is so cool now. But anyway, um, (laughs) so my quote-unquote pseudo-boyfriend got these newspapers in the mail. And he calls me, he's like, ha listen to what I got in the mail. I got these newspapers that are like, and I, we have been told, you do not read those newspapers, you do not look at those, you don't talk about those, you just get there, the devil. Um, So as soon as he starts saying this, I say to him, I can't talk to you about this. I said, absolutely not. I will not talk to you. You know, you need to. And he was like, what is wrong with you? (coughs) He hung up on me because I started freaking out about these newspapers. So I called the next morning and he said, I said, you know, I'm sorry that I got all so upset, but you know, that those newspapers are full of crap (laughs) and you know I just think that that's ridiculous that you would think that's funny because he was kind of thinking it was funny and he said Anna if 
there is nothing to defend. Why are you so defensive? I will never forget that moment because it broke the, I believe mm. it broke the hypnotism that I was under. Wow. It was so true. It was truth. You know, being in this church, it didn't really matter. First of all, I wasn't there like doing all of these conned, you know, conning things. I wasn't there to manipulate anybody or abuse anybody, although my behaviors became spiritually abusive as well, you know? Um, in their own way but I love truth and my desire and love for truth allowed me to see through something for the first time in the nearly nine years at that point that I had been there and when you say that one thing I immediately thought of is that questions can often snap spell yes and often when you're inside of some kind of cult or um, it can just be a church yeah. or any kind of religious institution that's unhealthy questions are are one of the things that they discourage yep <laughs> and I, I've 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 experienced that even when I was in um, you know college and seminary and trying to mm. being kind of groomed to be a particular kind sure. of preacher a yeah. kind of pastor there were some questions you were permitted to ask, mm -hmm. but there were, it almost seemed like, and no one said this, but it was almost like there was this list of questions you were not supposed to, to ask. ask. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because if you start asking these questions, mm -hmm. well, that's only going to lead to more questions. <laughs> and what they're afraid of is that you might ask enough questions that you'll begin to see some of the cracks yes. in their entire system. So Correct. questions were discouraged. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that would go back to almost that for a practical thing to be aware of is that any religion, any denomination, any structured philosophy that discourages asking questions, we should probably be wary. It's a red flag. It's definitely a red flag. It's almost like with the Wizard of Oz. You know, when you think about he's behind the curtain, and as long as nobody really knows what's happening behind the curtain, we can kind of keep our facade. Absolutely. In the moment that questions occur, people have to start answering them. Yeah. And if you don't have the answers or you don't want the people asking the questions to know the true answers because of the freedom, yes. the truth. And I also think it's cool that your relationship with your dad mm. you know as a young child that you speak about it being so positive and so healthy yes and that he was a gentle person mm -hmm. and that when you were at seven that that truth because of your relationship with him i have to believe that when god spoke to you so clearly in your spirit mm -hmm. you absolutely recognized who it was mm -hmm. when that guy asked you that question yeah you absolutely recognized that was who it the was. voice. Yes, even though the voice obviously was my boyfriend. Yes, it spoke to the voice inside of me that immediately resonated with me. Yeah, because when you mentioned you were um, seven, I believe it yes. was when you said mm -hmm. you looked up at the stars. What what triggered just the thought in me is that the voice you heard in that moment had not been polluted yet. No. So you heard a pure voice. Yes. You heard a protective yes. voice. Mm -hmm. You heard a loving voice. Yeah. 
And that's why I think often children can sometimes perceive things faster than adults. And I know you know this uh, better than I do, but often kids will have this sense about someone or they just perceive an environment that doesn't seem safe. And because they're asking questions that we are afraid to ask. Absolutely. (laughs) They may not even know they're asking those questions, but internally they're going, can I trust this person? Mm -hmm. You know, just because he has a position, they don't know anything about a position. They don't know the guy's title. They don't know his authority. So they just ask questions internally and they have almost this other sense about them. So you had this pure voice and this pseudo uh, boyfriend or whatever he was. When he began to ask questions, it reconnected you to that pure, protective, loving voice you had as a child. It It woke you up out of the stupor you were in. It did wake me up. And so I would say it was about nine months prior to the split. And once that question was asked, I immediately started seeing behaviors, ways people would speak, uh, things people were doing through a different filter like hmm. let me ask you about that because I want to make sure people understand because this is so rich if I, I use this illustration often when I'm communicating if I tell you to pay attention to all the red cars today yeah on your way home you'll be amazed at how many red cars you yes. see now our conversation didn't create more red cars no all it did was cause you to pay attention to what was already in front of you correct so when this person asked a few questions which snapped the hypnist power yes over you you began to see the problem everywhere it's interesting because i'll use the example of the dinners that drummond would um uh, now, Drummond is the pastor. Correct. Okay. Sorry, I'm not making that clear. His name is Frederick Drummond. There's <coughs> a, like a whole website on the guy. Anyway, um, and that church, Church of Our Savior, COS in Pennsylvania. Um, but it's interesting because one of the things that he started to, because after he said that, it snapped me out. And then it started opening up our conversations. Hmm. Like, hmm, that's an interesting behavior. Hmm, why does he do that? Hmm. Right. And one of the things that he would do is always have these dinner with a bunch of men, hmm. you know, and he, one of the questions was, why doesn't he ever invite their wives? <laughs> Just these things. I had no need done it for nine years, you know, or 10 years. I've seen that all the time. And now I had, now I was seeing it through a completely different lens. Right. I say that. It just was one of the, I didn't know though, still mm-hmm. yet, all sure. the things he was doing right. as in sexually harassing or assaulting these people. Right. I didn't know that was happening. But the questions that the gentleman asked you began a process yes. in you that eventually unraveled all of this web Every bit of it. that they had created. So when the young man who came forward, because he was going to be getting married and he... Um, worked for Drummond and he was going to be getting married and he basically was like I know who this guy is I'm not getting married and raising a family here but it was totally unheard of Hmm. to leave the church wow you do not leave wow (laughs) you do your life will be cursed you will not have prosperity you may be killed Hmm. you'll get a disease you'll have I mean okay let's let's open this a little (laughs) 
Here's here's what I want to know is no doubt these were many of the people within this church were intelligent, very right, educated. Yes. So these were not. Let's we don't want to give any impression that these were ignorant people, not uneducated people. No. Many of them were professionals, entrepreneurs, right. lawyers. Do- so all- how how do how do people get sucked into? and drunk, if you will, on these lies and get trapped in a web um, where they would not do that on their own job. If they work for a company that right. wouldn't allow them to get out of the company and right. threaten them, they would turn them in. <laughs> exactly. You know? But yet they allow themselves spiritually Correct. to get trapped in their sphere and intimidation. So it's almost like what are some of the uh, signs, if you will, that people could look for? Am I, am I in that kind of cult? Sure. You know, am I stuck mm-hmm. in something like that? Or how do people get trapped in right, that? Right. That's what I was going to answer. For Can I answer yeah, that one sure. first? Um, I think the tra- being trapped is twofold, maybe even threefold. One, there's got to be something in your life like a void. First of all, we all we were created with a desire to connect to God, correct? Mm-hmm. Like that's in us. It's a right. natural when we're born, we have a desire to connect to, if you want to call it God, God, higher power, whatever someone wants to say. You have a desire for connection. Right. So, number one, that's what spiritual abusers are preying on. They already know you have a desire to connect to a higher power. But if you, in your lifetime, have some sort of void, whether you've been abused as a child or you have an absent parent or someone dies or you're just in a vulnerable time in your life, Mm -hmm. it's as if a spiritual abuser can see that Mm -hmm. and they know how to draw you in. With my mother, she she knew that my father was working away from the house a lot that all of my siblings had already moved out of the house except for one brother and I was basically living with my stepmom and my brother and at the time we didn't have the best relationship and she knew that that was a vulnerable it's like she knew how to to pounce on it Hmm. oh she's this is a good time her dad's away from the house a lot working and so I was vulnerable Hmm. so desire to connect vulnerability and a desire to make a difference and be have a meaningful, valuable life, to have meaning. So what connected so many of these people in COS was the fact that probably if we could sit down with them in a therapist situation and begin to ask questions, we would probably find some commonalities among these people. Many of them probably had these gaps. Exactly. Either a loss of a father, mother, maybe trauma in their early uh, childhood yes. and a passionate desire to connect with God and this person Drummond yes and uh, no doubt other people around him grace my stepped mother. into mm-hmm. that place and connected the dots for them correct okay so they filled in the holes so now not only am I going to be able to connect to the highest power that there is, but now I'm also going to be able to be used by this power mm. for this big purpose. Right. Because what we were told is that he was a prophet to the nations. Right. That his ministry, and I it sounds yeah. so cliche yeah. now coming out of my mouth, um, that his ministry was going to touch the nations. Right. Mm. Who <laughs> wouldn't want right. that when they feel so 
alone or devalued or rejected by whatever other circumstances they have in their life. Yeah. So it draws people in who want to make a difference in this world. And this person takes advantage of that, in many ways, a very pure desire. Correct. This person has this desire. And I want to make that clear. The people who were in the church, like the regular every day, they just came to the church, they served some of the absolute best souls on the planet. Right. Genuine. Right. Because you're not saying that these people were crazy or psychotic Mm -mm. or uh, they didn't even know that many of these abuses were happening. They just got sucked into it. Definitely. And fed slowly, fed Mm -hmm. fed a lie. Yeah. And they believed it, mm-hmm. and they were educated, intelligent people. So many of the people listening to this podcast can also get sucked into those same kinds of environments. It's not some wacky people up in Pennsylvania who was waiting on a spaceship to take them away. <laughs> you know, these are normal people. You yeah. would see them in doctors' offices yes. and attorneys and school teachers and all these different things. So we have to be very aware of that kind of spiritual abuse that could be going on in some of the people's lives who are listening to this podcast right now. Definitely. They could be stuck in some of these things, not to cause alarm because they love their church or because they enjoy, um, you know, uh, a ministry maybe that is doing good things around the world. That doesn't mean you're stuck in a cult. No, not at all. So I'd like to know, um, what are some things that you would advise some people to maybe to look for? When you said that about, you know, a desire to touch the nations, I hear things like that a lot. Yeah. You know, we're a special church. Right. Okay. So we're that unique. would be a red flag, by right. the way. Right. If you, if your church is, is quote unquote special and unique and unlike any other church, that's, ex- first of all, it's what we call extreme thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. There is no one church that is going to completely change the world. Now, are there certain churches that are more influential in our society than others? Yeah. And guess what they usually lead with? A huge music ministry. Yeah. That's usually the only reason someone, someone's, um, what do you want to call it? Like uh, the people in Australia. Hillsong. Hillsong. You know, Hillsong is... um, they are incredible. Their music ministry right. is like second to none. Right. They're amazing. That doesn't mean, though, that they are the only most right. special, unique church on the planet right. who can create music right. or have a good message. So something about this idea of being unique, yes. different, one of a kind, mm-hmm. a special touch from God. Right. Uh, is, is, we're not saying that everybody who says that is crazy. No. <laughs> but we are saying that is a concern. Correct. When you're part of any ministry, and that goes for the church I pastor here, Force yeah. Park. If you hear language that we're the only church. Right. Um, you know, Scott or any other staff member is especially touched by God to right. do this better than anyone else or whatever. Those yeah. are some concerning um, language. Language. Yes. That, that could be slowly seeping its way across your spiritual boundary. Correct. Yeah. You know, again, because we have a desire to connect to God, that is one of the main things that where people can get pulled in. You know, we have a special connection to this God, mm-hmm. you know, to God. No, you don't. You are connected to him in the same way that I'm connected to him, the same way that they're connected to him. 
we all have <laughs> so if you want to know how close all of us are to god put your hand over your heart and know that when you breathe in and you breathe that breath is god he's all that's how close he is to every one of us no one is more special or unique than another so that's go ahead well that's what i was going to ask you is what makes some individuals more susceptible mm. to thinking that they are unique or have some special calling or some unique thing that they're bringing to the world that no one else can. Uh, some of these people, I would say, probably are very sincere in that thinking. Like they might not start, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they might not start off with this I'm the only one, I'm the only one that can, I really wanna start off by going to help people. But eventually, they the more you listen to them talk, the more special they get in their own mind. <laughs> so I think that you're exactly right, Lana. I don't actually think anyone comes out the gate saying, I am going to manipulate people to follow me to hell. You know, it's like, I don't think anyone really starts out that way. I think everyone pretty, Sincerely, And, you know, when you say sincerely, they're probably a teenager when they get this feeling of like, hey, I'd like to serve in ministry type thing. Um, but I think what happens is whatever sort of leads eventually to what I'm talking about, it's I, and of course, this is my therapy coming out mm -hmm. in me. I have a feeling that it, originally they have a very deep loss in their life, like a deep self-loathing, um, a very low sense of self-esteem, it's likely that they were abused as a child or abandoned as a child or they grew up in um, in a way that they thought that they were less than everybody else, creating sort of creating a foundation on which they now need to be they now need to be powerful in order to feel like they matter or, you know, are um, uh, valuable to God or whatever it may be. And um, when people start following you, what, that feels pretty good. Yeah, and I, th I think um, people may be surprised, those who know me, um, may be surprised to know that I was probably a perfect candidate for falling into a very cultish world. Yeah. And, and I say that because as a child, um, I, I, I felt as if I was uh, not really wanted as a baby. Um, and that's due to you know my father leaving, my mom being pregnant very early, no marriage, no real home. Um, there was even discussion about you know terminating her pregnancy. Uh, she decided to not go through with that, obviously. So I had this sense of why am I here? Mm. So you know I'm maybe I'm just a waste. Maybe maybe I was an accident. And then all of a sudden, it what started to appeal to me was the idea that I was born for a specific reason. Yeah. So I'm here to do something in, on this planet, in this world. Now, what is that? Yeah. And then I started listening to people who also believed they were especially called by God to do something unique. Sure. And get pulled into that. And that was grooming me. And I became very by the time I was you know 19 20 21 judgmental yeah. harsh um, I knew the truth you didn't know the truth I'm here on this planet to help you know the truth yeah and there is one way 
and that happens to be my way, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you're lucky. And I never, I never really <laughs> could process this at this time, but you're lucky that I happen to cross paths with you <laughs> yeah. because I have a message yeah. that you need. Mm. And if you listen to my message, your life will be better. I get it. So I'm very, was groomed. No, no one groomed me intentionally for that. But it was my own vulnerability, my brokenness, Correct. my weakness. So I say to people that I had, I've had probably many quote unquote born again experiences, but I had two big ones. One when I was six and seven, that was that same kind of pure voice mm. from God who I sensed one evening in a church service beside my grandmother that called me you know, come mm. and begin to follow me. And it was love and it was beauty and it was purpose and meaning. And then the other born again experience was probably when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and I was born again, again, mm. into this sense of, I'm just a human being who happens to follow <laughs> Jesus mm. and I have flaws and mistakes and problems and I'm broken and I have sins and I'm not really that special and that sounds almost you know uh, d almost a defeatist to say well I'm not special but it actually was a relief right so if you're so special you always have to be special exactly and then guess what when you don't feel so special <coughs> then you start creating things that make you special and yeah. that's not special right Right. The thing of it is about, so then I was going to say from that vulnerable childhood, mm -hmm. if you mix with that narcissistic personality disorder, mm -hmm. it's the perfect. All right, let's define that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because there are people listening going, wait, 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 what did what you say? That? What did you say? I think my husband has it. You know, I think my <laughs> wife has it. What? I don't even know how to pronounce it, but he has it. Say it what, again. Yes, say it again. What is that? And define that for us. Sure. So narcissistic personality disorder, and I'm going to say it sort of in lay terms. How does that sound? Um, it's I am the end all, the be all. I have all the answers. Mm. I know better. No one really can tell me anything I don't know or couldn't figure out for myself. Now, a person who has that wouldn't say that about themselves. Never. Right. Okay. No, absolutely not. In fact, they may listen to this and say, That's she not me. Right. No, right. that's not me. Right. Or they'll say that about everyone else. Mm. They kind of you know, project really their own um, self-image onto everyone else. So a um, narcissistic person will often see other people as narcissistic. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we all see others as we are, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> so that in and of itself is, is uh, that's sort of human nature. But yeah. um, narcissism is, um, I am better in a very very simplistic term and way everything is about me and life is I and then again it starts becoming a personality disorder I am special I am different I am unlike the regular humans also within that would those people carry with them an air that I can do pretty much whatever I want okay yes and, I'm, and I can either get away with it or I'm because I'm special and this is the worst part of spiritual abuse. Mm. Because I am called, it is all for the purpose of my calling. Mm. 
You know what? Let me. I got to comment on that because I've actually heard people say that because I live in the religious world. I've actually heard people say things, and they wouldn't say it as articulately as you just did. Sure. But what they say uh, would be something like, and I've literally heard this. You know, I had you know this terrible. I, I you know I I made a horrible choice. Um, had an affair with someone, um, embezzled funds, abused, you know, my wife or a child or whatever. But, you know, God allowed these things to come into my life or he permitted and we throw so much into the vat of Satan. You know, he permitted the devil to do these things to me because um, I'm so called I'm so anointed, I'm so special that Satan wants to stop me. God's got an incredible work ahead for me. So it's almost, they would never say they justify their their behavior. But in a roundabout way, that's exactly what they're doing. So I just threw up a little bit in yeah, my... Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, it, when someone says... This happened to me, but it's all okay. Or, well, you know, it's he has these sins or these problems, but that's okay. It's all a part of the journey mm-hmm. to him fulfilling his calling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the man. Right. It's so sickening. Yep. Because what we're saying is God makes special alliance, uh, allowances right. um, for this special person because he's so called, or she is right. so called. It's bull crap. Right. It is total and complete bull. How about you make, you have, you have desires, whether they be healthy or unhealthy. You did that, you harmed people, end of story. There's nothing else after that. Right. You harmed people. You're no more special than no, anybody else. There is right. no one any more special. If someone is in your life that is convincing you that what they're doing to you or within your life is for the purpose of God, it's bull. When I left COS and I was to the place of wanting to commit suicide and I crawled from my bed to my friend's bed because I did not want to hurt myself. I said to God, are you going to punish me for not being in church? And he said, as clear as the little girl heard at seven, I do not care about a call. I care about your soul. It's about people. It's about our human souls. And it's about the personal relationship between us and God, not us, God, and someone else. Right, right. What I love, and so I think you know this story because I told you this. I hadn't been to church in years. And it was an Easter. And um, I don't know why my husband wasn't in town. And I don't know if I had Joel yet. I'm assuming I didn't. I don't think I would have just gone to church without Joel. And I walked in the back door just because I I drive by. I had driven by your church several times, and I was just curious. And I just walked in the back door and I sat on the back row by myself. 
and I cried through the entire service. And then I walked out and never came back. (laughs) We have a lot of people who do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And immediately, I was like this. I didn't know who you were. I didn't even know your name was Scott. Like, I just didn't know any, right. knew nothing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he is so genuine. Like, he's so kind. And then, of course, the whole thing happened with um, the the happy stuff, and that and now we're all here, right? Yeah, and for those who are just joining us, oh, yeah. we had a conference, oh, actually a <laughs> sermon series, and we invited Anna in, and that's how we actually officially met. met. Sure. And we were talking about happiness and what that looks like. And you were our guest on a Sunday morning. And yeah. that's all a part of the first podcast. So if you go back and listen to part yes. one, you'll hear a little bit more about that. So um, I immediately knew and understood this was not a church that abuses people. You know, this is not to say, though, that people don't bring their abused perceptions with to mm-hmm. your church and then filter certain behaviors or whatever through their own filter or fear of abuse. Right. You know, because I think that whenever you stand before a congregation and speak quote unquote for God, right? There can be the fear that this person's trying to control me. And what I have learned about you is the last thing you want to do is control anybody. You actually want to teach people to question everything you're saying. That's right. Actually, and I have a I have a a concern, and I do not want to say this in a way that paints me as being pure in my motives, because I've learned that um, there are motives often behind motives behind motives, and yeah. it's almost a like an onion, you just peel these layers back and you see sure. sometimes some impure motives even underneath pure ones. So I, I say this with respect and honor and, and carefulness, but I am always concerned that I will use my gifting, which I can confidently say is in communication and in teaching. So I have an ability yeah. to take, you know, point A and help people to go to point B to C and to end up at D. Mm -hmm. That's a reasonably strong gift that I have. But that gift can be abused so quickly Mm -hmm. and I can use that to stir a kind of emotion in someone who is looking for a hero, who is looking for someone to believe in because everybody else has disappointed them. So they transfer their lack of having a father to me mm-hmm. or you know somebody else who disappointed them in life and they come into Forest Park and they see me on a stage right and they think well this guy speaks well he's confident or funny or whatever sure and therefore I'm able to get them to do things that's always a concern I have For so sure. I'm always trying to sprinkle within my messages and I wish I would have done this years ago um what you just said and that's an encouragement for them to question yeah question authority it's okay to ask questions i try to say things sometimes that i know some people aren't necessarily going to agree with because i want them to walk away and say well maybe he's crazy you know maybe he's not full of truth all Mm -hmm. the time because i want them to understand that we're all on a journey and you said something before we Maybe, maybe you said this in the podcast, I can't remember, we, we talked before, about 
five years from today, you may have a different view about certain things. Correct. That scares some people. Because most people want to get to the place in their spiritual journey where all their questions are answered. And then they live the rest of their life out of their already mature beliefs. And when you say to someone, hey, five years from today, I may not see the same things that I see today. Oh, that's scary because they're thinking, oh, there's a lot more I need to learn. There's things I may not see tomorrow that I see today. And you want to go, that's healthy. So healthy. That's good. What it actually does is it, keeps you in communication and constantly questioning and asking the God in you what what more do I have for you know what more do you have for me what else can I learn today when people come into my office I I encourage them not to listen to any advice I'm giving them but to always say but for me to always encourage them to learn how to listen to their own voice because I have, I am not the expert on anyone's life. They are. We are all the expert on our own lives. I know the intricacies and the nuances of my life better than anybody. And if I don't learn how to listen to the voice within me, then what am I doing? What authentic or genuine life am I actually living? And so when I seek out truths, I believe that then, so say I go to church to seek out a truth, you know, speak spiritual truth. I then have opened my boundaries to hearing truth from you, but I better be in touch with the voice within me to say, well, that piece of truth doesn't right now resonate with me. So I'm going to let that one go. But this over here, that totally lines up with what's going on in me right now. I know that, you know, we have three kids, you know, we have Evan at 23, Ashlyn at 20, and Cameron at 18, and because we've been so intentional to teach them how to ask questions and not even believe wholeheartedly what we say, I mean, we know that we want them to trust us, that there's nothing we as their parents would ever do to harm them, sure. but we were very intentional to teach them how to ask questions. And I know a lot of times with adults, they would get offended by our kids asking them questions because they wanted them just to sit down and be quiet. You know, kids should be seen and, you know, not heard, that whole type of scenario. Mm -hmm. And so, but now they're very gifted question askers, I would say. (laughs) And that, you know, they've each three individually faced their own adversity. Yes. We didn't have to be their healers. Correct. When you teach your children to listen to the voice inside of them and to ask questions, you're teaching them how to navigate the rest of their life because you two may die tomorrow. Yes. Then who do they have? Yes. And I think that that for us passionately at Forest Park, that's that's one of the things Scott and I want to do is to teach people who come into our doors to learn how to ask questions so that they can be strong independently outside of us. Exactly. Amen. Yes. So that when, you know, that Forest Park is not the answer. Right. Scott as a pastor is not the answer or our staff as much as we love people. Right. That is not the answer. So what would you say would be the number one practice that people need to cultivate in learning to hear themselves and being able to trust themselves? 
So you just asked a big question. And that might be a question for another podcast because <laughs> we've been talking quite a while. I will just say this in general, be still. The only person who can hear the spirit in you is you, but not if you're always going and talking and looking for someone else to speak. Be still. I, I, want, I want to address, because this question that Lana asked is so important. Um, here's where I feel a, a foundation has been built within many churches that lead to abuse. And it goes to something she just said. And I wrote this down in the environment in which I was raised. And this is going to be somewhat controversial for some of the people listening on the podcast. I'm just going to just kind of give that caveat there. Um, and you may, I'll just say those listening, you may not agree with these next few minutes here, mm. but I'm just stretching your mind a little. I want you to think, and you can at the end of this, throw the whole thing away if you want. <laughs> but I grew up believing because it was preached this way to me and I therefore not because it was ever um, not because I earned this knowledge but because I was given this knowledge I mm -hmm. didn't turn around and preached it but we're told I was told and many religious people are told at, at the beginning you are bad you are born bad you are born broken you are born sinful mm -hmm. you are depraved you have you know, you're spiritually dead. And I believe that in, in a sense that we need the resurrection of Christ in our life to bring life to us and hope it's, it's found in him. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I was told over and over and over again that you can't trust that voice because that voice is bad and that mm. voice is broken. That voice is sinful. So when you say trust the voice, I know some people who are listening are going, wait a minute, how can you, how can you trust that. that voice? What I have learned is that when you believe that your voice is messed up, your voice is bad, your voice is sinful, your voice is depraved, then anyone else's voice replaces the voice within you. And then you just start following, if you will, the Pied Piper. Correct. And I have learned that no, mm. no, 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 no. God is present within me. He is, when you said a moment ago that, you know, you feel your heartbeat. Well, I was reading and studying actually a while back, the, what we now call the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus said, when you pray, you know, pray our Father who art in heaven. Mm -hmm. When I was a child and I heard that the Lord's Prayer recited or taught, I believe that what Jesus was teaching his followers was to say, our father who art in heaven and heaven is up there mm -hmm. somewhere. He's there up wherever heaven is. Sure. I'm down here, but that is not actually the correct interpretation of heaven. Heaven at in that, in that passage is actually meaning the very atmosphere around you mm. as close as your breath. So when you are saying our father who art in heaven, you are saying our father who is right here yeah. in the very air, yes. the heaven around me, it is within the very place around my face, my heart, my mind, my soul. You can't get any closer than, than heaven. It's right here. Yes. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, it said a voice came from heaven and said, you know, you know, he is my son. 
Well, again, it was right here. Everyone looked around because it thundered from the very mm. elements of the air. Yeah, right around. So them. God is as present as our next breath. But I didn't believe that growing up. Sure. So you're told over, no, 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 you can't trust yourself, Scott. Someone else has to tell you the truth. So and then you can fall into all kinds of deception. So I'm going to say something that is probably going to freak a lot of, if people are listening and, and you have this belief system, that teaching is literally set up so that you do not trust yourself, so right. that you do always need religion. Right. Exactly religion. Right. Yes. That's abuse. Yes. That's abuse. Yeah. You do not have what it takes. We do. It's codependency. It's correct? codependence. But we take all of that out when we look at spirituality. Oh, because it's God. Right. <laughs> but we create codependent people. Yes. Correct? And yes. then we need them to do certain things for us correct. to build our kingdom. Yes. And we then use punishment, whether yeah. that would be uh, cursed by God right. if you don't do something. Right. Um, he will not answer your prayers. Right. If you live in rebellion, mm -hmm. and we define rebellion as not doing what we well, say. we say to do. <laughs> right. Or ultimately, the biggest punishment of all is you will end up in hell one day yeah. if you do not follow these particular guidelines. And that was, you know, well, as Lana said, we may have to get on this sure. on another podcast. That's why I want you to come back over sure. and over again <laughs> is the very thing that Jesus constantly, in, in, from what I see and have learned, fought against. That is one of the reasons why it was so controversial when he ate with sinners right. and tax collectors Correct. and went to their homes. And he was considered to be a, um, a drunk because he would sit down with those who would drink wine and party. Sure. And he was touching the prostitute and touching the leper and right. these people were depraved and <laughs> sinful and wicked and cursed by God and Jesus began to empower his disciples yeah. and tell them you go out and bring healing to people you yeah. go out and love people and it's just it's a whole world there of sure. just breaking down so much of the manipulation of religion and, uh, and that God is up here and we are right, down exactly. here. This separation. Jesus, there is no separation. That's right. Jesus broke the wall down. I mean, one of the most powerful um, verses in Scripture, occurrences, is when he cried, it is finished, and the temple curtain right. ripped oh, in yes. half. That's, yes. Because it's, it's the separation between yeah. normal man, a sinful man, right. and holy God literally came down. Yes. Now we're told we can go into the Holy of Holies ourselves. That is more than just a sermon point. That talks about humanity and God being united. That's it. That's it. That you don't have to walk around in fear and afraid of being cursed and afraid of being thrown out mm -hmm. and all these things. It was the very thing that Jesus came to um, break down, that right. wall of separation. And then we can get into the whole thing where... He talks about there is no slave or free or Jew or gentle or man or woman, but we are all free. Yes. We're all one. We're souls. Yes. <laughs> Period. We're wow. souls. That's good, Anna. So we have to give some practical steps here before we go. Sure. Okay. So let, let's, let's, let's just imagine um, there's some people listening. They're driving down the road. They're jogging. They're mm -hmm. sitting in their home, whatever. They're hearing this podcast and they're saying, you know, I have a sister who mm. I think she may be 
stuck, you know, in this church. I've invited her maybe to come to Forest Park or who, who forget Forest Park, another church. Sure. And you invited her and she can't go because she feels guilty to leave where she is or her parents make her feel horrible mm. because they're afraid she's going to get into, you know, false teaching and whatever it is. And they, you know, they're just concerned. What would you say? To that person who has maybe a brother or a sister or maybe themselves stuck or a child or a parent what are some steps what are some conversations maybe they could have or what so I'd like to say that this is an easy answer it is not and this is why I often think to myself I've asked myself this question a hundred times what could someone have said to me and oftentimes nearly nothing my, my family did. They, my sister, <laughs> I'll never forget a conversation my sister having with me. She said, I mean, Anna, what if, what if you just said to God anything? Like you turn all, God, turn all my sweaters in my closet yellow to show me that I'm not supposed to be here. She went to the extreme Okay, so your sister was not me. part of the, no, okay. Just okay. me. Okay. Just my, me. I say not my sister. I had two stepsisters and a stepbrother and not, none, None of them went to the church. Okay. Like they didn't, they were in it when mm -hmm. they were little. Mm -hmm. They left. They never came back. My brother and I did because our mother Grace was there. Mm -hmm. um, my father said this to me. I said, you know, how did you survive the nine and a half years that I was there? He said, I did not go one day without asking God to open your eyes. Mm -hmm. And he did. It, as much as I'd like to say it's our job to help people see what they're in, it's actually not. We do not have that control. Yeah. All we can do is say, God, I can see how unhealthy this is for my you fill in the blank. Yep. I ask that you would in your way open their eyes. Yeah. It's all we can do. We cannot control people. Then we basically become the abuser if right. we're trying to convince them of our right. point of view. Right. They're wrong. We're right. Right. And the other people we are just saying, reversed no, no, no. it. Right. You're wrong. We're right. Yeah. And it just. Exactly. Yeah. It, it doesn't. We are then no better. Right. I, I, we use a phrase here at Force Park and I picked it up from somebody else and stole it from them and use it <laughs> now that. You know, we can't make anyone fall in love with Jesus. All we can do is set up the first date. And I love that concept because all we can do is really arrange it. What I try to do with preaching is just introduce you to what I believe at this time in my life is, is what I think is truth and introduce that to you and say, hey, consider this. Sure. You're reading all these other things. You're thinking about everything else. Think about this. Consider that. And then I trust that there is another dimension there and that is God who can speak to them and that presentation of truth will often come alive in that person's life Correct. and they'll walk out and go, I want to follow that. Mm -hmm. They were not manipulated into it. Mm -hmm. They were not threatened into it. It was just presented to them in a loving, gentle way. And I just trust the voice of God enough in that person for that person to come alive. When Jesus steps at the tomb of Lazarus, he calls his name, Lazarus, come forth. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he responded to the voice of Jesus. He was dead, but he responded to the yeah. voice of Jesus. I believe when we present truth, and I'm not afraid of anyone else presenting truth. Right. 
So I say, hey, truth is everywhere. Truth is truth. Truth will live. So present truth. And I believe that the concentrated truth in Christ is there. He can call a person's name. And in the middle of a cult, just like you were, he called you out of the tomb. Yeah. And you were able to come out. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess one huge step is just to pray. Seriously. And to have a a conversation with them. Just pray about it. I don't mean just pray about it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to say, though, is be intentional about praying. But I agree with you. Also, when the time arises for it, present truth. It's not about shoving truth down someone's throat. Right. It's about presentation. Truth is powerful enough. It It doesn't have to be I don't have to be the teacher of it. Right. But let me ask you this. You said that the, the we keep referring to him as the faux, faux boyfriend, I guess, or whatever it was you said, the <laughs> yeah, pseudo boyfriend. pseudo boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he asked you a question. Yeah. And that question began to unravel some yes. things. I, again, Jesus is a master at questions. Yeah. I have a book in my office oh, all I about the that. questions Jesus asked people. Mm-hmm. He would often ask them questions. They would present a question to him. He would get a question back to them and it would begin to unravel some things. So maybe what's a question or two Mm. that someone could ask their mother or their sister or their pastor or whatever. So I remember one thing someone could have absolutely spoken this to me and I would have gone, oh, you're so right. I, it was so hard being in the church that if someone had asked me, you know, would you invite anyone else here? Mm. Hell no. Mm. As much as I believed in the church and the call and what we were doing, I never asked one soul to come with me. What does that say? Christianity is hard. Mm. (laughs) You know, God is hard. So you didn't even want to subject your friends to the misery you were in. Well, wow. and the, yeah, no, because once I started going to see, I wasn't really, I didn't really have any friends outside the church, but oh. once I started going to school, like college, like actual college, oh, that's another long story. Um, I started meeting people and I never wanted to invite anybody. Wow. I was like, no way. I, this has been hard. That says Nobody right else there. can do this. Because one of the things you see in the, in the new Testament is a passion that the people had to invite and bring sure. their family and friends, there should be a joy. They were getting if, if, freedom. If you go to a restaurant and you have a great meal, <laughs> no kidding. one has to manipulate you to go tell your friends about the great <laughs> exactly. meal you had, right? That's exactly you right. You love your friends enough. <laughs> you want them to enjoy a, a delicious meal. Absolutely. If you happen to be part of a life-giving, joy-filled, Community. intellectually free, yeah. spiritual, transforming community of people yes you want your mother of your course. father your sister your friends to be a part of that because you have found life there of as course. well that's great but it was hard yeah and it was i felt guilty all the time i never felt good enough um and i and that's the other thing that spiritual abuse does it builds you up and then they rip you down mm-hmm. And then they build you up and then they rip because you don't ever want to get too high that you actually start having some sort of confidence or self-esteem. Right. Wow. That's yeah. always a good thing there. I mean, that's that's a good point. Yeah. You get brought up and torn down, brought up and torn down over yes. and over, over and, and over, over again. again. Yeah. Yeah. And you start second guessing everything. Everything you do, yeah. which is what a narcissist does. So if we talked about a relationship where maybe you have a narcissistic spouse, 
Um, one thing they do is they talk in circles and when they start talking in circles, they confuse you and suddenly mm -hmm. you don't even know what you're talking about. Yep. And then whatever issue you thought you were bringing to the table has completely turned around yep. on you and it's yep. just yep. crazy. Um, another piece of this is, um, well, I'll take what you said into consideration, but I need to be the one to go before God mm. as if you don't have a relationship with right. God. Right. You know, it's not on my, it's your, it's your, it's right. his relationship right. with God. Right. Wow. A lot of good stuff there. And I think we could talk another hour or two. We're going to, we're going to stop here. And uh, we're going to pick it back up or something similar the next time I have you on. Okay. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you for your transparency, you. your honesty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that even the information we've shared today will cause some people to think about some things, I read, so. uh, ask questions. Um, we'd love to have feedback. Can I just say one sure, more thing? Sure, please. You know, I think it's important to, to say that even the, the longest standing religions can be cultish. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and I'm not saying, by the way, if I mention it, it's not like that's a cult. I'm just saying the, 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 so you grow up in the, in a church and I, I know we were ending, but I really feel like I want to say this. You think, well, I'm a part of a Baptist church. There's no way that it could be a cult. It's Baptist. Mm -hmm. If it has any of these earmarks, mm -hmm. then it's cultish. Yep. It may not be a cult, but it's cultish. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you can't move left or right without judgment, mm -hmm. you may want to start wondering or questioning what church you go to. Right. So I'm just, that's another one of those things yep. that I would just. And, and I, I would also highly um, flag or warn or prepare people. It is traumatic. And I mean deeply traumatic to begin questioning your religion. Yes. It is as if the earth moves underneath your feet because if everything you're you've been standing on since you were a child suddenly shifts, that's it. It's almost like a house of cards, and yes. everything begins to tumble. I have been there. Yes, it is an anxiety-ridden, fearful place to be because you are doing everything you can to find a place to put your feet, to find a place to grab onto. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, on the other side of that, um, which is the process called, you know, um, destruction and then, you know, rebuilding a, it's a destruction and then a, um, you know, reformulating a new faith, rebuilding everything from the ground up. Yeah, it, it's a... It's as almost as if you had a bone that was set incorrectly and you had to re-break the bone and yes. reset it. It's very painful. But on the other side of that, there's health and life and hope. Reconstruction of your faith. Um, I would love to help people through that process. If you happen to be going through it, I'd love to know. You can always email me, scott at fplive.org. I'd be happy to answer questions or at least have a conversation with you and do the best I can to help you through that process. If I could end with reading something. Please. Um, I have the, you know, what you were just talking about. Questioning your religion or what you have always believed to be the foundation of your life. Yeah. It is 
literally questioning your foundation. If you think about it, that's what you're standing on. Right. I said to someone today, when I lost everything, it was as if I were floating. Yes. And I had nothing yes. to grab onto. And right. I didn't know what to do next. Exactly. So I'm going to read something that I wrote. Okay. Years later about what it looked like to go through the process of once I, well, I didn't really question. I actually just was sort of like ripped <laughs> apart. But once I um, realized that what I was in was not okay, the journey that I went through um, looked a little bit like this. Every road I journeyed was blown to pieces, so I became a road builder. Every foundational belief system I trusted was shattered, so I became a foundation layer. Every house I'd built was burned to the ground, so I became a contractor. Every relationship I'd put my faith in took their masks off, so I took mine off too. It's beautiful. Rebuilding your life after spiritual abuse is like building your life on your own. Yeah. And that is scary. Yeah. And I get it. Yeah. And I just want to encourage you, if you happen to be in that place right now, or you think you may be going there, that you may feel alone, but you will not be alone. Yeah. Two, two things. One, and this again will sound very cliche, but God is with you through the process. Yes. He wants you out of that more than you want out of that. Yep. The other thing is there are literally thousands of people who are in the same place you are and they've learned and they've grown and they've matured and they're in their own rebuilding of their faith and they've come out of traumatic situations and abusive yeah. religions and today they're healthy and strong. Yes. Don't give up no keep asking questions yes. keep pursuing counseling therapy reading praying asking god to um, resurrect that voice again in yeah. your life well thank you anna yes. and i appreciate it we're ready to here. get back again next time and we'll open up some more truth Definitely. okay thanks for joining us everybody and we will talk to you again soon you've been listening to the imperfect leader podcast with scott neal Join us next time as we continue learning what it means to be an imperfect leader. You don't have to be perfect to be an effective leader, but you do have to be teachable. Read great books, ask great questions, hang around great people, and you're on your way to becoming a great leader. Thank you for listening.